welcome back to another episode of the Becoming Fully Human podcast. Today, we will be discussing a topic that is sometimes relegated to the shadows. In the world of spirituality and self-development, there's often a focus on the concept of love and light. And today, we will be taking a turn into the darkness and exploring the concept of the dark goddess with the great Jane Hardwick Collings. Jane is such an inspiration to me. She is a mother, a grandmother, a shamanic craftswoman, a writer, teacher, workshop facilitator, a woman's mysteries teacher, and a former midwife. She runs courses in person as well as in um, the online realm, and I will link to her website as well as her School of the Shamanic Womancraft in the show notes. Jane is such an inspiration to me. I have been listening to her teachings and learning from her for many years now in the online realm. So to be able to have a conversation with her in person was truly a gift. I was particularly excited to speak to her on a topic that she does teach about in one of her courses, but that I hadn't heard her speak of um, in the podcast world. And that topic, of course, is the dark goddess and the realms of shadow work and all the powerful healing that comes from facing and integrating our shadow. So I will leave it at that for the introduction. We do discuss our relationship to the dark goddess and the ways in which she has influenced our life in the podcast itself so instead of rambling on too much longer um i hope you enjoy can you introduce the dark goddess to the listeners um and those who may have never heard of her most certainly. Well, she will have heard of you, so there, there won't be a problem when the relationship is re-established. So I learned about the Dark Goddess from Demetra George, who has, who's an astrologer, and in particular her beautiful book called Mysteries of the Dark Moon, and also from Jane Meredith, who is a wonderful teacher from Australia. So that's where I learned about the Dark Goddess. And basically, the Dark Goddess is part of us. She's one of the sub-personalities, if you want to use a Jungian perspective to explain it. She's, she's one of the inner voices or characters in our inner story, which ends up being our outer story as well. So she's also in the collective. So we have one could say a personal dark goddess and a collective dark goddess. Mm. And the way to recognize her within ourselves is she's that inner voice or feeling or knowing or sense that's telling us that things need to change. Mm. And even if you don't want them to. So she's that part of us that knows things need to change and will be reminding us at every opportunity whether we want to know that or not. And in terms of other attributes of her, she is the goddess of the dark. And the dark means many things and it's not bad, you know, like light's not good and dark's bad or vice versa, you know, it's just one or the other. They're polarities. 
And I think our culture is having a great opportunity these days to learn how to hold polarities as opposed to be in one place or the other. So the dark goddess is the representative of the dark, which means the yin space using that Eastern perspective, the the rest phase Mm -hmm. in the uh, cycle of doing and being. She also represents the energy of autumn and winter in the earth seasons. So the darker seasons, like they're not bad, they're just darker. In other words, the days are shorter. And that's uh, all about our journey on the earth around the sun. She also represents the death and rebirth phase, which is not just a moment. There's it's a it's a it's a period of time which includes the void. So the void, the space in between, the space where the magic happens, where the insights come and the healing happens. So these are all the realm of the dark goddess. And also she represents what we've come to call our shadow. So our shadow is the word we use to describe things that we've hidden. So like hidden in the shadows sort of thing. And there's, again, there's a personal shadow Mm -hmm. and there's a collective shadow and things that we've hidden. And they're not necessarily bad things. They can be good things, actually. Mm. Well, I don't really want to say good and bad, right, but they're not positive or negative. They're just going to be whatever has been, as they say, relegated to shadow, which means that we want to hide them either from ourselves or others. There's like a bi-directional relationship almost with the idea of something being bad. Like, is it bad because it was placed in the shadow and since it's hidden, we think of it as bad? Or was it bad and so we hid it? It's kind of like it goes both ways, but it, it, it gives it a negative energy because it's not spoken of, the topics we don't like to discuss. And so it, it like drives the concept that they're bad when truly they're yeah, they simply are. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Like, so in my personal shadow bag, as mm. it's sometimes called, <laughs> I put vulnerability there. Mm. And that's not a bad thing. That's a necessary thing. Mm. So, however, so that landed up in my shadow bag, so to speak, as a child when I learned very quickly that being vulnerable was dangerous. Yeah. So it's it can be that we learn from our life experiences that the things that are not safe to express, we end up putting in our shadow bag as a survival tactic. Mm. So then the recovery of that can be, in my case, if I, when I reclaim vulnerability, then I'm acting from a more whole space as opposed to without vulnerability, which is not whole. Mm. So it, it could be that it's, it we so i grew up to think that being vulnerable was bad because it had a negative impact in my life but clearly vulnerability is not a bad thing mm-hmm. so that's an example of that but in terms of our culture we have put lots of things in the shadow that um are very good things mm-hmm. you know especially feminine power mm-hmm. yeah i mean so my next question Sorry, is kind ahead. of really quite integrated to this. You've already touched on it, that like people fear, well, the literal dark for one, 
um, the dark aspects of themselves and death, which is definitely drives the kind of shoving things into our shadow. And like, why, why might someone, I guess as a protection mechanism is for sure one that you just mentioned, um, a coping yeah. mechanism, various degrees of like trauma. We, we put things into the shadow to protect ourselves when ironically, maybe it's, it's short-term protection, but when we draw those patterns out into our life, my God, mm, we end up exactly. living in quite a dark place. Yeah, yeah, mm. fully. And in terms of this kind of, not everybody, but there mm. is this fear of the dark, as mm. you mentioned, like actually yeah. fear of the dark yeah. and and the dark aspects of ourselves. Like, like where does that come from? Well, all we have to do is look at our culture because we live in a patriarchal capitalist mm. culture that denies the dark. And the way we see that mostly is through the, um, the, the things our culture promotes mm. are growth, you know? So we live in a, an, a, in a growth economy that we are expected to be available 24 seven. Mm. We want instant gratification and there is zero long-term thinking in our culture. So mm. that's kind of like a maintain, maintaining in a kind of unhealthy, unsustainable way, maintaining growth. Mm. And when you maintain growth, you don't do the descent. The and the cycle. descent is what the dark is all about. Yeah, and so our culture has been denying the descent, like, for as long as the patriarchy has been in, in power, which is like, you know, nearly 3,000 years. And our culture has a fixation on um, youth and beauty mm. and achievement and, 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 and not resting. And we, we see that most predominantly right now in our faces here in 2021, end of 2021, mm. where the with the climate emergency and everything that the COVID pandemic has, has revealed that we, we need to embrace the dark mm. personally and collectively, because if we don't, we're not living the full cycle, which is basically birth, growth, full bloom, mm. harvest, decay, death, Rebirth, growth, full bloom, yeah. harvest, decay, death. And I think over the, and over. the key concept there being rebirth, because I know as a child, the dark terrified me. I needed the nightlight. I didn't even like to go on sleepovers at friends' houses. I had such a fear of the dark. And unpacking that as an adult, it was definitely a fear of of death, of the ending. Like I had to to, you know, hear my parents say goodnight, I love you, because it was this huge fear of it being the end that I might not wake up that they might not wake up and as that translates into adulthood I can see that pattern needing some serious unwinding in relationships for example if a relationship is coming to its it's the end of a cycle be it within one same relationship you know there being multiple births and redeaths with the same person or acknowledging the end of a of a relationship with one person that fear of an ending and not realizing that built into the end is the beginning. Like there's, you know, the that fear of ends. Meanwhile, without endings, we don't have the possibility for renewal and for growth. Mm. Yeah, that's it. You know, like, so that's what we have to help everybody remember, right? Because yeah. it's the way of nature. Yeah. And, 
and it's what we see playing out over and over and over. It's the same cycle for everything, just different speeds. Mm. So this is part of what we need to collectively reclaim is the whole cycle, not just the growth cycle. Mm. And um, the thing that I love is that the way to live an earth-honouring and sustainable life Mm. is hiding in plain view in the menstrual cycle. You know, like we already can see what happens when women don't honour the descent in their menstrual cycle. Yeah. It's it's become pathology. Yeah. Hmm. Um, there's also this, I mean, you've touched on it briefly earlier, the, the narrative in the spiritual world of love and light and that everything is positive and focusing on the positive and the good, which of course serves a purpose of like, maybe even realizing that the descent is not bad. Like that can be a way of of having that, um, of using that mentality in a way that serves us. But what role does the dark goddess play in the evolution of our consciousness as opposed to um, the hindrance of it and our growth as humans? And how can facing our darkness in- initiate us into the next chapter of our life? Mm. Great questions, Camille. Well, you know, there's this wonderful saying and it's by Joseph Campbell. Oh, I'm so glad I remembered that just then. Sometimes (laughs) when I try to remember things, it doesn't come. It did. (laughs) And and that is gold is found in the darkest places. Mm. So, you know, and another one of his, where you stumble, there your treasure lay. Mm. So they're invitations into into the dark. But basically the role the dark goddess plays in the evolution of our consciousness is transformation, you know. So if she's the one that's calling for change, that usually means letting go. Mm -hmm. So that's the big, that's the verb. You've got to let go. Mm -hmm. And then... And then uh, the healing and the change comes. So, So what her role is, is, is letting us know what needs to change Mm. and being the impulse behind that, that isn't actually very gentle, to be fair. You know, it can be a big shove (laughs) and often people ignore her and therefore the shoves need to be even stronger. So in my experience, it starts as a whisper and you think, nah, you know, I can ignore that or I I have to ignore that. It's, It's too comfortable here. But that knowing, the deep inner knowing, it only gets louder until it screams, which is why earlier when you referred to the darkness as the yin, I was like, sometimes it doesn't feel like rest. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But that's what we have to make that time for rest. So facing our darkness, how that can initiate us into the next chapter of our lives is basically that it ushers in the change. That that needs to happen or even wants to happen in our story, you know. And we can look for the clues about what things might need to change by looking at what we call our red thread or our mother line, you know, mm. like what are the what intergenerational trauma that we've each inherited, we can actually do the inner work around and heal. Mm. So that's another way it shows up. And 
And facing our darkness is actually also a component of all major rites of passage in our lives where we have to face our fears, you know. So fears would be one of the things that we would kind of see in the dark, so to speak, or have put in the dark. And it could be like outmoded beliefs as well that keep us in sort of this uh, place of living that isn't serving us anymore you know it's it's part of growing up really because that's what a rite of passage is too it's like transforming into the next version of ourselves but I think that the place we see um the thing the way we we can see the shadows so clearly which sounds like a (laughs) funny thing to say um in our patriarchy Mm. is that feminine power, as I mentioned before, is, has been relegated to shadow or hidden, Mm. basically hidden in our culture. And that's, that's the nature of a patriarchy, right? So it will suppress feminine power. That's, that's what a patriarchy does. So that's, that's actually the biggest issue that I see that Mm. feminine power has been turned into something evil, you know, with all the different archetypes like the evil witch or the, you know, the bitch or the, the um, well, I can only have so many different archetypes of the feminine that have been turned negative, but look at all the popular kind of archetypes in children's movies and you can see the brainwashing that's going on about yeah. the feminine, you know, the bad queen and all of that kind of stuff. So I think it's really a relief for women to see that feminine power is actually not a bad thing. It's necessary. Mm. You spoke um, earlier about the collective shadow and the personal shadow and making change. So even just referring to, to the bitch archetype that many women don't want to be perceived as. So there's the collective, obviously. We see it everywhere, this patriarchal influence on the workplace for example and a woman being in that environment there there's a bit of a a a narrative that like the woman is always right or like trust woman believe woman but I find that women also perpetuate this archetype by believing it and embodying and you know and shifting and not being who they want to be to not be perceived, for example, as being a bitch. So they censor themselves or they push through on their menstrual cycle and they work hard and they ignore and they suppress what they know to be true, kind of expecting society to change so that they can feel, you know, themselves in the workplace as opposed to maybe the other way around, which, how do you think change is is going to happen? Because for me, it's been no, I need to stand up for knowing I need more rest when I'm on my cycle. And I can't expect a workplace to offer that to me without me standing up for what I know my body needs. Because of course, it'd be great for society to just be like, hey, we've been doing this wrong. We need to, you know, embrace the the cyclical nature of all things, but particularly women's bodies. Um, You know, men be on such more of a maybe 28 not such a 28-day cycle and more of a 24-hour cycle. But yeah, it's like women perpetuate this as well, right? There's no, you're not just, um, just because you're a woman doesn't mean you're not participating basically in the patriarchy. And in fact, women, perhaps maybe even more than men perpetuate it by being a woman 
and not standing up for their needs. Mm, yeah. And that can be so scary, you yeah, know? Yeah. Yeah. The, there's such a in the in the work the world of work the women who have reached the top echelons in their careers have have got there because they've been able to prove themselves in a way that the system has seen that they're equal to men so they've had to be better you know like we our culture says that women are equal to men so long as they can do what men do men do you know like so that's ass about right mm. so yes things need to change and yes women have perpetuated the patriarchal perspective around all of this at at work that mm. like they've had to yeah so Survival. so i think where we are i think where we are now is that Women need to be activists at work, you know. So this this relatively new, old, ancient concept of <laughs> honouring the menstrual cycle. Yeah. But in terms of at work, menopause as well, because that's mm. another big descent that gets ignored, same story. Menstrual and menopause workplace policies are something that are coming into place now in some countries, they're more prevalent than others, and in some industries, they're more prevalent than others. In in the UK, for example, there there are a lot of menopausal women that work in the in the utility services of the government and the police force and all that, and they really need those women. You know, they know what they're doing. They're they're the wise women, and and for those of them who are experiencing challenges through menopause which is the norm right mm. it's it's like a it's like another birth right so there's a labor and a birth mm. just takes like much longer than an actual human baby but these companies are realizing they need to look after their menopausal employees if they want to keep them mm. so same for menstrual cycle workplace policies so these are the things that Yes, we would love to have our um, employers think of them, but they're probably not thinking about those kinds, yeah. kinds of things. So I feel like it's up to us, like up to the women to say to our employers or even our unions or professional bodies or whatever way you can feel best represented in the workplace to say, come on, we've got to get with the program. We need to stop ignoring that the menstrual cycle and menopause affects a woman's life. And it doesn't affect a man's life unless he's living with her. <laughs> so we need to be thinking about equality in those sorts of ways where mm -hmm. everybody has the same opportunities and also not blame anybody about it too mm. you know everyone's just catching up with these realizations of what a patriarchy even means and and how yeah. to live within it in a healthy and healthful way so mm. the worst thing we can do is just ignore it and keep going the way we are because it'll just get worse mm. so it's time to rise up and and you know say this is the way it needs to happen now and like you said, the rising up can be quite difficult. I think tying it back to the, the dark goddess, especially for people who haven't faced these like tensions and trials and tribulations within their own self, because it's much 
easier for me to speak out um, and honor myself in the outer world when I know there's been a lot of untangling in my inner world. I can see the mirror of that. And like you said, that red thread of no matter what stage you are as a woman, with every initiation, whether it be your first bleed, you know, your first pregnancy, all these stages, you're given an opportunity to really face the shadow of your whole matrilineal lineage. And when you do that work, it it ushers you into the next stage with so much more confidence to, to support yourself and speak out for yourself and and be, yeah, um, an advocate. For... If you're supported through that rite of passage, right. you know, like you don't have to look too hard at the birth statistics to yeah. see what sort of mothers are being born yeah. in their birth giving. You know, one in three women have birth trauma and that is yeah. not an empowering thing. Yeah. Menopause is 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 only just starting to be talked about. So yeah. that's has not been empowering like culturally. It's yeah. been like disappeared. And menarche our first period, you know, that is such an important rite of passage that we live with the effects of for the rest of our lives, same as the other ones, but this Mm. one happening earlier in our life, we can see the effects. And, you know, like women, girls, I mean, are not usually welcomed to womanhood at Menarche in an empowering way. I let that much more now because there's, there's a whole few generations of awake mothers not wanting their daughters to go through the same experiences, disempowering experiences that they had at their first period. But, you know, these rites of passage, they reinforce culture. So whatever the dominant Mm. culture is gets reinforced in the rite of passage and that can, well, mostly that's very disempowering. Mm. So how does one dive into the shadows of the underworld and invite the dark goddess out of hiding and into one's life? There's so many ways, which is so wonderful. But firstly, like, listen. Listen to, the, listen to what you're telling yourself. That would be, like, step one. And then in terms of the, so the dark goddess, we could say, is a, is the representative of the descent phase of the cycle. So mm. whenever we are experiencing the descent phase of any cycle that we are experiencing, we can be in direct communication with the dark goddess. So right now, as we're speaking, we're on a dark moon. Mm-hmm. So what that means is the day before or hours before the new moon. And so the new moon is tomorrow morning. So now the day before that is the dark moon. And so that's an opportunity that also is the same equivalent energy of the day before your blood starts for your new period. Or it's the same as the energy of midnight Mm. or same as the energy of deep winter. So at at the depths of the descent of each cycle, we have the chance to do the final letting go that the dark goddess is asking us or uh, that sounds a bit polite demanding of us (laughs) that we change so in the lead up to that which is what's called the descent Mm. those are the times in our cycles whether it's a day like so for example from 3 p.m on we can in a daytime we can start that's the descent Mm. you know we can be starting to notice things we need to 
drop trying to do for that day, for example, yeah. or um, things we need to let go of so we can have a more peaceful evening or, a, or, or whatever. But the menstrual cycle offers the greatest opportunities for this. And that's where we see the descent has been pathologized. It's yeah. called PMS, yeah. you know. So the time of what the equivalent inner seasons would be of the menstrual cycle would be autumn and winter, mm. the descent. Yeah. And that, again, as I said, has been pathologized. So to, to dive into the shadows of the underworld with the dark goddess is to use those phases in the cycle of whatever cycle you, you can to have a conversation with her and notice what's not working in your life, mm. what's, what's hurting, what's annoying, what's scary, all of those kind of things, and, and then have a conversation with them, find the links to how they even got there in the first place. It's the inner work. And the other way to do it is to ritualize or ceremonialize the process of descent into the underworld. And, and that's um, something that we do in the Four Seasons Journey of the School of Shamanic Womancraft, the International Women's Mystery School that I founded that's in its 13th year now. Ooh, so it's what a good yeah, number. It's very, I, I know. <laughs> so we, we do a ceremonial reenactment mm. of the myth of Inanna journeying to the underworld to meet her sister, the dark goddess, Arishkagal. So that's like really an epic, epic process. And there's a teacher from the School of Shamanic Womancraft who runs specifically that, Inanna Journeys. And mm -hmm. I know that there are plenty of other people that do that too. And also a vision quest or wilderness solo is also another reenactment of the void space or the, the place at the end of the descent before the rebirth. And right now also in terms of another opportunity for how to honour, how to get there, it's wherever the earth is at in, in her cycle around the season. So mm. here in Australia we're at the Beltane time, which is heading towards the peak of summer at the summer solstice that's approaching. But in the northern hemisphere it's the Samhain or Halloween time in the seasons, which is you know, in other countries called the Day of the Dead or the Witch's New Year. So it's like the beginning of the dark, the mm. darkest of the dark. So working with the earth seasons is another way to to have a, a journey into the underworld. Yeah, could you explore, I've heard you speak um, of the Black Lilith in the Black Moon Lilith in astrology and how one might use their Lilith to explore that relationship to darkness. Yeah, so this is part of the work of Demetra George, the mm. fabulous astrologer that I mentioned at the beginning that I learned about the dark goddess from. So lots of astrologers can do this work. It's basically there's there are three cosmic bodies mm. that are named for Lilith and they will appear on our natal chart, you know, the the, the scope of the sky and where all the planets are on the moment you were born. So as well as finding out where all the planets are, you can find out where these three cosmic bodies that relate to Lilith are and they tell the sto an amazing story. So there's the Lilith asteroid, then there's the dark moon Lilith, and then there's the black moon Lilith. Mm. So in it together they tell the story of a person's journey through feminine wounding, mm. exile, 
and then the healed return. So the, the first one, the Lilith asteroid, tells the story of how you were wounded in the feminine. And then the dark moon Lilith tells the story of how you were exiled with that wound and how you lived out the wound. And then the black moon Lilith is the story of, of how you return from the exile with your healing gifts. Mm. So there's books about this and there's I find it's probably easiest if you don't know much astrology to have an actual reading with yeah. a, an astrologer about it because they can read into where it is in your chart, what house and what alignments and blah, blah. But I'll just give you my story because it's kind of easy to I would love to hear your story. <laughs> so this is in a nutshell. Yeah. So on. my Lilith asteroid, so how I was wounded in the feminine, is in the area of family and work. So what that looked like for me was I grew up in a typical patriarchal fa family in, a, in the patriarchal culture, but I didn't know that, right? But I grew up in that way where I, I knew I was less than because I was a woman mm. or a girl, actually, because this was when I was little. And so my wounding was around feeling less than because I was female at home in the family and in the culture. But then when I went to work, so my work was, I started my working, uh, my career as a registered nurse, and then I became a registered midwife. And so the deepest part of the wounding happened for me in my, when I was around 25 doing my midwifery training, when I saw the patriarchy like at its worst, with how women and babies are treated around birth. You know, I've said it a hundred times, institutionalised acts of abuse and violence being carried out on mothers and babies masquerading as safety. So that was like the final sword to the heart for me. Sounds like 2021. That, a lot of mas <laughs> masquerading as safety. Hmm. Exactly, exactly. So, so, that, so that was my wound and then my exile was to the home birth world. Mm. So like that's not a bad exile, but it's right. out of the system, you know, like so I then I left the system and went into the whole other reality or mm. world of home birth. So this is like um, nearly 35 years, nearly, wow, nearly 40 years ago. Wow. Um, <laughs> so my exile was away from the system into the world of home birth, which sounds lovely, but it's an isolated world. And back then, 40 years ago, it was it was actually a bit more um, accessible than it is now, even. But yeah, right. it wasn't it wasn't the system. So my exile was was there and and away from the system and and not playing those games and not being part of birth in the hospital, unless I needed to be with obviously transferring women to hospital if they needed medical help as a home birth midwife. So my exile was as a home birth midwife. And then in that whole kind of um, countercultural world. And then my heal my black moon Lilith, which is about me returning from my exile mm. with my healing gifts is what I'm doing now. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm back out of that, uh, I'm out of hiding yeah. and I'm trying to actually reach outside my own bubble and not just preach to the converted, as we say, but 
put myself in places which actually aren't very comfortable for me at all, but in places where what I have to say is something a bit radical. And that's me bringing my healing, healed gifts of the, of a, a different way to be in the patriarchy where women are not in the shadow, basically. So that's my story in a real nutshell. So the Lilith, um, from what I'm understanding, seems to be like the life cycle of, as opposed to like we go through the daily darkness, right? With a 24-hour cycle, women have their 28-day cycle. We obviously have um, never-ending, di- like dipping into the into the darkness with endings of um, relationships, friendships, jobs. There's always that kind of like beginning and ending. And it seems like the Lilith is the overarching life cycle that you came here to experience throughout your life. Yeah, that... With like yeah, all that's the mini, my understanding. yeah, with all the yeah, mini exactly. ones happening simultaneously every within every day, month, you know, experience, and then the Lilith is this like overarching experience. Yeah, and also something that isn't done when it's done. Mm. Like it's it's an it's ongoing, and sometimes it's really hard to even make sense of your Lilith story because that's the nature of Lilith, you know. So Lilith is here and gone and hiding and mm. you know the 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 Lilith story for people who don't know she was Adam's first wife apparently I have and, this yeah and she she refused to do what he told her so the story goes so she was banished mm. from the garden of eden and was like the in that biblical story she's like the total dark bad feminine and um originating originating from not doing what she was told so you know there's the story and so sometimes it's easy to see what your story is from these readings and and over the years that I've been doing this work with women sometimes it's really hard to figure it out Mm. and sometimes the exile is not from by others but you exile yourself Mm. you know so it's not something as I said that that you finish like so for me with this like I need to remind myself and everybody in their own stories to constantly refer back to what my black moon Lilith teachings are so Mm -hmm. that I be that rather than stay in exile because exile is easy but it might be horrible but Mm -hmm. it's you know one of those sort of known known places but the point here is to return from exile yeah yeah which is what we're seeing, you know, like the rising of the feminine. Yeah. Thank you. Maybe we can end um, on maybe a bit of inspiration from you for people who are looking, maybe not only who are new, because I think most people listening are probably familiar with concept of doing the work and exploring parts of yourself that um, need integration. Maybe a few words to people who have been doing this work for quite a long time and um, yeah, are looking to, to go deeper or explore this, this aspect in maybe a new way, some words of <laughs> inspiration. Ooh. I mean, you've been doing this kind of work for quite a long time or even a, an experience of your own in um, cause it's, it's the cycle. As soon as the rebirth occurs, it's, 
it's then heading back to death, right? So it's not something that is ever achieved. Um, yeah. That's right. So, well, what I would encourage those of you who into all of this and mm. doing the work and and ready, you know, like up for it and stuff is that we need to start now looking outside ourselves mm. and stop being so fixated on how um, how where we're at in our journey and what our purpose is and that. And I don't want to say that we don't have purpose and we shouldn't do inner work, but I think at this time in our lives on this planet, we have to be the ancestors for the future generations that we can be proud of being. Mm -hmm. And right now that's not what's happening. So what I would be begging of the listeners to do is to engage in long-term thinking Mm -hmm. and to connect in with their future ancestors, their great-great-grandchildren, and journey to the... um, upper realm, say, or maybe just to stay in the middle realm, to meet with your future great-great-grandchildren, even if they're not your own, but, you know, connected to your family somehow, and ask them what do they need you to do now to secure their future? I've got full body goosebumps, Jane. (laughs) That's wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and Mm. wisdom. This has been a pleasure. Thank you, Camille, and good on you for doing what you're doing. You know, may may you reach far and wide and help all the people that you can. Bye for now, Jane. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.